0: friend the shoe is on the other foot so i'm going to ask you those two same questions but i'm going to ask you them in my best steve adubato impression so here it goes (laughs) and welcome to episode 17 of the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leader. Today, we're fortunate to be talking to Steve Adubato. If you lived in New Jersey for a minute, you know Steve. He's been an iconic television broadcaster, author, motivational speaker, leadership coach, syndicated columnist, and a distinguished visiting professor and university lecturer, to include right here at Seton Hall. Steve has won four Emmys for his work on public television and is a widely known media and communication expert. A graduate of Montclair State University, he went on to earn his master's and a Ph.D. from Rutgers. Steve has been a syndicated columnist writing for New Jersey Monthly He's the author of five books, including his latest called Lessons in Leadership, which explores the connection between leadership and communication and how great leaders are forged by life's experiences. Many, of course, know him through his television programming, including shows like Think Tank, State of Affairs with Steve Audubato, Caucus New Jersey, and, of course, One-on-One. Finally, he's been a great friend of the Bucino Leadership Institute and a mentor to me. So, Steve, it's a sincere pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. It is my honor. The last part I need to clarify, I don't know if I've been a mentor to you because I've learned as much as you can possibly imagine. After all years, I've been teaching and learning about leadership from the work that you were doing and our colleague Mike Reuter and absolutely everyone else at Seton Hall. This is a place to learn, not to mention, as a huge basketball fan, that's right, of Seton Hall, the Seton Hall Pirates. I'm um, here with our son Nick, who's 16, goes to Seton Hall Prep. We never miss a game, and I know it sounds crazy, but I'm thinking leadership while I'm watching the games. Sure. Not just X's and O's, but the motivational piece the whole bit. I, it's an obsession about leadership that is usually healthy, but sometimes not. And it was a fun team to watch this year. You know, they, they went on a, a, a great ride. They are playing with some house money. So you've been a friend of Seton Hall for a long time, to include teaching classes here in the College of Communication and the Arts and working with the leadership program, like you mentioned, with Mike. Senior actually was an alumnus here at Seton Hall, but you also have a lot of ties to that other university down the road that wears to I can't believe you're going I there. I didn't say it. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, thought I thought you <laughs> would just say it. I have a doctorate from it and just let it go. <laughs> no, no. no. Well, I know. Okay, so Se- I'm sorry for interrupting because I'll talk about listening later and I'll interrupt you. <laughs> Nick, they can't hear you, but when we go to Rutgers Seton Hall games, no matter where they are, friends, the longest, all in red. They're like your traitor. I said, listen, in the end, you can't be Switzerland. <laughs> I got to make a choice. You got i with the Pirates. You got to choose. So with that said, so like what was what was Steve about like in college? Here's a funny thing, and I, and I talk to our kids about it, I, I talk to students about it, and I try to make sense of how you become a great leader. I've been thinking about it for a long time. And one of the things I'm convinced of is that some of us hopefully become decent leaders because, mistakes. We have people around us who call us on those mistakes, and we learn quickly that if we don't own them, if we don't own them and take responsibility for them, and if we don't make a commitment to learn from them, we'll never grow. And so I was an arrogant, cocky young man who believed I had all the answers. I got in too many arguments over believing, quote-unquote, I was right. I was a terrible listener, and ultimately, over time, I decided to run for the state legislature. I, I was barely 24 years of age, just had completed my master's. Young, ever, you right right? Youngest ever in the legislature. At the other university, I walk out with a master's degree, I go down to work in Washington for a while, and I go, I'm ready for the state legislature. And I come back, and I win my seat, 25. And I'm thinking, how long before I have to be governor? I mean, I know I can't legally run like right now. And Ridiculous. Hmm. I learned about leadership by, frankly, being a young man on the move too quickly, too arrogant, too cocky, overconfident. And in nineteen eighty five, at the ripe young age of twenty six, I lost my seat in the state legislature. Mm-hmm. And I had to rethink not just who I was, but what I had to contribute. And I started to think maybe leadership is not just having the CEO title, the state senator title, the congressperson title, the governor title. Maybe it's about finding a way to make a difference. And I started to shift my life, becoming interested communication interpersonal communication, mass media, and that's where I got my doctorate, studying mass media, studying how the leaders in the military, which you know better than anyone sure. from your military background, thank you for your service, sure. not exactly. a cliché, absolutely. absolutely right on. I started to think about how our military leaders tried to, and were successful at managing public opinion in wartime, the Iraqi war, yeah, absolutely. and how the media rolled over for them. And I asked myself, what are the implications about that? for the American public and democracy. And I started in my broadcasting career with that as the foundation. Started a production company, learned about leadership from making mistakes, having to raise money, getting rejected, having to stay in the game, never quitting, managing a team, learning how to not overreact, which I still do when mistakes go wrong. I'm a terrible perfectionist. Long-winded answer is this, Brian. I became obsessed by leadership because I knew if I'd never reached my potential as a leader. And by the way, my dad was a very, very strong, dominant, domineering leader from what to do and what not to do, that if I didn't make a commitment to be the best I could be, then I would fail. I'm a being perfect about never quitting and growing every time. So is it fair to say that your failed re-election literally and figuratively kind of changed the course of your life? So we think we know, right? Mm-hmm. We think we know the course. We think because we're good at strategic planning and leadership training, strategic agility is even more important. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you think a fastball is coming down the middle and you're all set for that 95-mile-an-hour fastball? And someone throws you curb and your knees are buckled. just frozen. I was frozen in eighty five. Mm-hmm. And it was because of a great guy who actually was a Seagull Hall fan, a late great guy by the name of Jerry Greco. He was president of one of the major banks in the area, the Seaton Hall family so the a all the time. I said Jerry in eighty six I'm gonna run for Congress. He was he so well, I lost my seat in the legislature. You know, it was a Republican landslide that year. I happened to be a Democrat in Republican district. He goes, yeah, well, you could probably win, but why are you going to do that? And I said, because that's who I am. Hmm. I'm a politician. He said, why don't you find out who else you are? And he said, if I give you a grant from the bank, how about you start a production company and start doing programming because you're interested in issues? Point hmm. my If it wasn't for me losing that election, if I had not lost that election, I was on a track that I was convinced was the only track. And when I learned about leadership is you have to turn on a dime. I'm sure generals have to do it. The game plan looks different. I'm sure quarterbacks and coaches call audibles at the right time, and I wasn't ready to do it. And once I made those changes, it changed the course of my life. And frankly, I said to my wife the other day, we would not live where we live. We would not have the life we have. I would not have such a rewarding career in broadcasting, teaching, coaching, writing, if I had won that election at 26 years of age. Silver lines. So you mentioned the production firm in 1999. You also founded your firm, Stand and Deliver, a program that provides communication, and leadership skills to professionals, as well as young people in and around your hometown of Newark. Mm -hmm. And congratulations, R.I. because I saw that, you know, we're coming up on this. 20th anniversary that's here right. of that great initiative, um, including a celebration that's going to take place on May 13th called the Night of Eloquence. And you can find out more at wwwstand So tell us about the org. Tell us about the Be the Change initiative and its impact. It's a great question, Brian. So I realized that I had this production company with, with public broadcasting we are doing this great programming on PBS. Yes. Listen, like people say, how do I get it to television? I'll say, I don't know. I'll tell you how to raise money. Sure. Because if you can't raise money, if you can't get and people to on. back what you don't, I mean, at the BCNL no, it's You teach entrepreneurs, I'm sure. That's what it is. So I'm not a classically trained broadcast. What I am is someone who's a decent business person, who can raise money, who can build relationships and learn how to be an interviewer. Mm -hmm. And so over a period of time, I realized I love what I was doing, but I wanted to take my work as my doctoral work in communication. I wanted to take my desire to teach, and we created a company to help folks. And think about this. I deal with people, lawyers, doctors, accountants, professionals, all walks of life afraid of getting up and giving me a presentation. You are deathly afraid of oh listen, you have three minutes, tell us what the message is, tell us what we need to do, be the leader and they go, well what can I read? I go, no. Can I look at that PowerPoint and go up say, No, you can't. You gotta take a couple bullet points, you gotta come up here and be a persuasive communicator. It's my way of saying to you. I had been teaching in the field of communication, but I wanted to take it and build a company around it. And that company's been very successful and I decided that if I was gonna have a for profit company, why not? In the city I was born and raised in North New Jersey. Yep. I happened to see an article in the New York Sunday, New York Times. In Bedminster, there was a, a debate and public speaking program that these kids were learning. And I thought, these kids are the best. Why not? For inner city kids in the North. Leadership is service. And so we created a not-for-profit version of Stand and Deliver, where we teach and coach about 600 young people, mostly in North. High school kids, some 7th and 8th graders, how to get up, stand, and deliver. How to shake people's hand, look them in the eye, be good listeners, learn conflict conflict negotiation skills. It's actually a leadership institute in many ways. Well, and it's one of the proudest moments of, of, of our team's existence. It's a blessing when you see these young people get up. When they came in, they couldn't speak in front of anyone else. And then they're not eloquence. They get up and they deliver a message. It's about change. Be the change. Don't say, so the mayor needs to do something. The governor needs to do something. The corporations need to do something. Seton Hall needs to do something. What we say to them is, what are you going to do for Be the change. Love it. for what Gandhi said. Be the change. You want to see. That's what it is. Love it. Love it. So you're no stranger to standing in front of college students. So what is the best advice that you can give to today's college students that are interested in, you know, becoming, becoming you and entering your field? You know, I'm going to give you a, a word. The word is engage. After we do the podcast, I'm going to speak to some of the great students the program you have. And, you know, it's called a lecture. Steve Adubato is coming in and do a lecture. And Brian, frankly, if I do a lecture, I have failed. If I don't engage them, if I don't get them involved, if I don't get them interested, if I don't get them thinking, if I don't get them thinking about, hey, how do I view leadership? And what do I think about what i is about to and do I have a different point of view, how do I express it? If I don't engage them then I have failed and so on. my lesson is this. I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but the truth is, if I'm not engaging people while I'm doing it, not listening to what you have to say, then I'll never be the leader I want to be. Most people confuse presentation skills with what I like to call a one-way street, all one way. Create and live on a two-way street and engage people and have them involved. How can you get people to follow you if they're not interested? Well, because they have the greatest idea. Uh, no, because they're on their iPhone. I can tell you there's some uh, college professors out there that should probably keep that advice in like, their classrooms. But. Right, real quick, Miss we'll <laughs> Voltaena. Uh, sorry for interrupting. I, I was defending my doctoral dissertation at that other place that wears red it in New and it was my second, third time defending. Let's just say I wasn't great with the feedback I got. The other lesson I learned about leadership is accept feedback even when you think it's wrong. One of the members of my dissertation committee kept saying, you need to rewrite this section over you're never going to get a Ph.D. And I was telling my, my chairperson, Dr. Jones is wrong. He goes, really? He's wrong? He's holding the card, not you. So what are you going to do? Convince him. And so I wouldn't rewrite it. And so when I finally rewrote it and I was ready to defend, I said I wanted to do a qualitative dissertation and engage the audience. <laughs> the department at Rutgers said, the doctoral program said, no, no, no. You have to give a one-hour presentation on your findings. So I said, wait a minute, hold on. What about if I engage the audience? It was a school of communication. Sure. You don't engage the audience. I said, no, I have to do that. We teach that. I don't just give your presentation, get your doctorate, get out of here. And I thought, <laughs> and that was the last time I did that. I did it to get the doctorate. Sure. Uh, hopefully I've never done it again. Oh, love it. Great story. So congratulations on your latest book, which, appropriately enough, for this podcast is called Lessons in Leadership. And in this book, you interview a host of leaders, and you have them answer kind of two important questions. But now, my friend, the shoe, is on the other foot. So I'm going to ask you those two same questions, but I'm going to ask you them in my best Steve Adubato impression. (laughs) So here goes... (coughs) i written well, well over 500 sure. columns, essays, articles, and blog posts on the subject of leadership. So, the most important leadership lesson you've oh, learned is... Oh good. Good? hold on. Nick? Nick, was that good? Yeah. By the way, my son is... My son can't <laughs> laugh because you had the hand across. If I had a deck of cards, I would use those right there. <laughs> right? Like a... You know, by the way, I had uh, Dave Lipton. Get out of here. He Lipton was on more on one. Uh, Actors Guild. Actors Guild. Actors Guild. And Lipton was on our show one-on-one, which you were on as well. He was in on Lincoln Center. He did that thing where he goes, he did the whole thing, What's your favorite curse word, the word, What yeah, do get over, yeah. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't say it. <laughs> and, I was, and if you're going to heaven, what would you say? And I was like, I can't. This is worse than you <laughs> <laughs> to live what you just did. Sorry, sorry. It's okay, so my greatest leadership lesson. Yeah. No, hold on, this doesn't mean that I've perfected it. No, 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 no. That comes across in your book as well, right? This mm-hmm. is a journey, down a, not a destination. So, last week I didn't manage my emotions very well about something that went wrong in one of our PBS shoots. Greatest lesson. And Nick, our son, knows this. Unfortunately, my wife Jennifer knows it. I am not as good as I need to be at managing my emotions when things don't go the way I think they should. Is that as PC as I can get? I think think we can all certainly relate to that. (laughs) The lesson is, if you don't manage your emotions better. I'm not saying I mentioned Gandhi before. There's no Gandhi here. But I'll tell you this, when I lose it, Students today. Hopefully, they read the introduction. I yep. talk about that every time I lose it. Even when I'm in the right, I'm wrong, yep. and I'm still working on it. But that kind of speaks to another theme of the book, which is about the importance of leading yourself. I think it's interesting when I ask that question about you know the, your, the greatest lesson. You didn't go hourly focused and say, you know, this is how you lead people. It's, it's all about kind of how you, how you lead yourself. Hopefully that's not narcissistic. <laughs> no, because no, 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 no. it's funny, in our program, uh, you know, it's a four-year comprehensive program. The first year is entitled Lead Yourself, and we don't talk about leading others until until next year, so for our sophomores. So second, you know, the second question you usually ask is, what is the most pressing leadership challenge you have ever faced? And I'm curious, is it your, the failed reelection? Was it something else in your career? How would you answer that question? Mm-hmm. I that great. I um, <laughs> <laughs> thought I go well, hot, hot that's right. right. <laughs> the hot seat not on our podcast. So I want to argue that the greatest leadership, it's not just leadership lesson. Sometimes you can use the words leadership and life interchangeably. Mm-hmm. For years, and I don't talk about this a lot publicly, for years, the whole ambition thing, right, connecting ambition with leadership, Mm -hmm. it's not the same thing. And so the greatest frustration, the greatest area, other than managing my emotions, is having this sense of where I thought I should be, right? First, I thought I should be in Congress and in the U.S. Senate, and then, of course, the rest. And as a broadcaster, here's what's funny about it. I get into the trap sometimes of looking at other people. I'm a broadcaster at PBS in the New York, New Jersey region. My a production company. I have a great team behind me. We do the content we love. You've been on. So many others here at CNOL. CNOL is one of our major underwriters. Four Emmys. It's great. But here's what it is. Sometimes I look at those Emmys and I'll go, yeah, they're regional Emmys. (laughs) New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Baltimore. Done work at CNN. I've worked on the Today Show. I've worked at MSNBC. I was on a contract at NBC for a year. They made the mistake of not retaining me after the year. I had all seriousness. And here's what happens in my mind: I get into the trap sometimes. I'm watching some colleagues at those state on networks, national networks. I should be that guy. <laughs> I should be the one. Why don't I have that? It's a terrible, terrible trap. You start looking at other people and asking yourself, why don't you have that? Why does he have that? Why does she have that? Takes you away from what you need to do every day to be the best you can be. And it's hubris, and it's arrogance, and it's insecurity, and it's frankly ego run them up. Run your own game plan. Be the best you can be in the arena you are in. So much of the rest of it is about luck, circumstance, and here's the other thing. I have a great life. My son and I played golf this morning before we came over here. I remember being tied to a network under contract my time was not my own mm-hmm. my life was not my own I forget that sometimes yeah. and I look at the stars and you look at the national thing and it's a long the way of saying to you be the best you can be at what you're doing and have the best life you can have and stop looking at other people and thinking the grass is always greener it's a trap lest you be too hard on yourself there could be a silver lining to the notion yeah. of you know constantly looking forward and, and figuring out how you can be the best you can be I, I totally agree with you I don't think looking at other people and trying to right. make, make But there is a component of you that I think is positive in the sense that look, you've had this tremendous success, but you can be happy but not satisfied with. You know, you're constantly seeking for that kind of self-improvement, right? So to your point, yeah. My my staff gave me this card to hold up. It's uh, Steve Autobots Leadership Hour on AM 970. You guys know it. It's another. It's a lesser radio station than we're on, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're partners with AM 970, and the reason I say it is because I always wanted to have a radio show on leadership. So through a guy by the name of Jerry Crowley, who's the uh, general manager, the top guy over at AM970, who had wanted to hire me as a morning host. I didn't want, you know what, I, lo- I love being asked to be the anchor of a morning show. I just didn't want to get up at 4 o'clock every day and do it. <laughs> and so finally I said to him, Jerry, I don't want to do the morning show. How about if we did a leadership show and he goes, he says to me, look, if you can sell it, you can have it. Like what do you mean? Because bringing the sponsors will split the revenue. We'll give you an hour on Sundays. Translation, and you know how that worked work out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was like, let me use my business skills. My point is this: I wanted to grow, and I wasn't content. And I wanted a radio show that I could control. But I also wanted to do it on my own time. It's not about being selfish in that way. It's that I want to be able to take off for my son. I want to be able to spend time with my family. Yep. I want some downtime. And so we created a leadership hour, right? know, yep. every Sunday, but we take six at a time. We have a new show called Think Tank on PBS about national issues as we move into the 2020 presidential election. Not about race horse race stuff. You can find that on the national sure. networks. We're talking about issues, yeah. higher education, energy policy, tax policy, yeah. all immigration. And we created this spinoff podcast. It's my way of saying to you, Brian, be the most creative, strategic, strategic, imaginative, entrepreneurial leader you can be in the arena you are in can't do that if you're simply working for someone else all the time yep. and that's what i forget sometimes i could not be happier about where we are professionally and look what's happening you know when you take those types of risks other things like would it be fair to say that your book lessons in leadership would not have been you know that was kind of an outgrowth of all the interviews you've done on the leadership hour and stuff so no, you know what the leadership hour came from the book yeah I, I said, said let yeah. me let me let me take this book and turn it into something got gotcha. you and by the way we wouldn't what? be talking right now you wouldn't be having me at the Institute of Bucino Institute. I wouldn't get this chance to speak to your students later today if it were not for all that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in the book, you write one of the most powerful and sometimes painful lessons I've learned about leadership is that you must be a leader of yourself before you can dare to be a leader of others, which we talked about. So what did you learn about yourself in writing this book? Was it cathartic? What did you learn about yourself? So there's a big part of this book that is my dad right now is 86 years of age has been dealing with dementia for about seven, eight years. My dad was the toughest, roughest, most aggressive, domineering, successful leader ever, knew. As a kid growing up. That's what I saw. Like I mentioned, my son's here now. I don't think he'll be as influenced by me as I was by my father. Um, we live in a surprise Well, put it this way, we lived in a working class Italian-American neighborhood in North New Jersey, and my father was a major community leader, a dominant figure. Let's just say, because Dan, Dr. Daniel Goldman refers to emotional intelligence, my father wouldn't recognize the word, much less care about it being important. Because his definition of leadership was, we got it done. We get things done. Now, here's the thing, Brian. It took me a lot of years to realize there was a lot of roadkill. There was a lot of devastation. There were people whose emotions were hurt, whose, uh, whose self-esteem was hurt because my dad was that rough. He was a name-caller used profanity, again, built amazing things in the city in And Anyone who knows my dad knows that. Absolutely. Particularly in the CNO community, they know that. But I was in meetings with him where he would ask people for their opinion, and they'd say something they in like. And he came down on them so hard they never spoke again for years. And everybody around them was shut down. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've got some. I was like my father 2.0, a little more sophisticated with a PhD in communications, but I had some of it. and the cathartic experience was learning and much of who I am as a leader was shaped by my dad, good and bad Mm -hmm. I'm tenacious, I don't quit I'm a perfectionist I expect it from others, that came from my dad I blame too quickly, I don't let things go easily I'm too aggressive at times and too unnecessarily confrontational that came from my dad, but I have to own that the cathartic experience is saying I learned a lot of good things from my dad but everything that I fail at as a leader is all on me regardless of what has shaped me just owning it Yep. That's the most cathartic thing. Yep. But committing to do better, not just saying, My bad. It's not that's all you have to gain. Yeah, self-awareness and, uh, and owning your mistakes that like you talked about in your book is absolutely crucial. Now in the book, on a selfish note, I would be a kind of a fool if I didn't ask you about advice on asking questions. You remarked earlier about, you know, the importance of being a good listener, but what are some of those key tips on asking great questions, asking for a friend, of course. Okay, so 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 here's the thing. At our dinner table, See, I learned this lesson from, uh, from the head of the psychology department at that, quote, other university. So my son, my, my oldest son, he was six years old. I was a single dad at the time. And I used to take him two days a week. I had him after school. And I'd pick him up from school. And this is what would happen. I'd pick him up from school and I'd say, uh, Stephen, how was school today? Fine. Everything? All right. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about? No. And this would go on for months. And I only had him two days during the week. Sure. And I called my friend, Dr. Marisa Lyons great mentor of mine, I said, who was a psychologist, he said, race? I said, Maurice, here's the conversation I'm having with my son. What's wrong? He goes, you actually got a Ph.D. from this place in communication. Because you're terrible. I said, do you I not terrible, Because the way you ask questions doesn't make sense. Because when you ask your son those questions, you don't even make them think. They're robotic. How was your day? Are okay? He said, the next time he gets in the car, I ask him this question. Stephen, what was the most interesting thing that happened at school today? And I still do it with our kids today. But here's what happened. Next time I picked him up, Stephen, what was the most interesting thing that happened in school today? And he looked up at me from the back seat. He didn't say anything. And I saw the wheels turning. I engaged him. Sure, sure. Maurice said, just ask him what was the most interesting thing. And he goes, Dad, when you were a kid, did you have Jim?" I go, yeah, in the 70s we had gym. He goes, well, did you ever climb the ropes? I said, we had to climb the ropes, but never got to the top. He goes, I didn't either. I goes, Dad, today we had to climb the ropes. And I was climbing the ropes, and I couldn't get up. And I'll tell you something, Dad. Do you know this little boy who plays second base on our baseball team? I said, who, oh, Billy Gerard? He goes, yeah, Billy. He goes, Billy climbed all the way to the top, tapped the ceiling. He was like a monkey. And I said, what happened next? And he said, he was coming down. He goes, I forgot to tell you, Dad. We were climbing the ropes right after lunch. I said, what happened? He goes, you know that girl that really says she likes me, but I don't like her? I said, who? Oh. He goes, Elizabeth. I said, what does she have to do with anything? And he said, well, Billy Gerard was coming down. He was swinging. He goes, Mrs. Johnson dipped. He I'm going to be sick. And he threw up on Elizabeth Dolan's head. So what happened up at night and it was great to cancel gym. <laughs> I yeah. called Maurice Elias up and told him the story. He goes, listen to me. Become an expert at asking questions. Yeah. If you ask a closed-ended question, is everything right at school today? What are the options for yes, so the questions? Yeah. So we asked students, and then first Bueller's Day off. Yeah. You are know, too young to remember. No, I, love I love it. it. Great. great so so what, does the, what does the teacher do? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? we right. And so he asks a ridiculous question, and then the students are not engaged. Yep. So I promised myself I would become an expert. There's a book by um, Dr. Merrilee Adams in Philadelphia. Change your questions. Hmm. Change your life. What she meant by that was if you ask better questions and engage people and get them to think, it can change the conversation. If you change the conversation, it could change the dynamic in the relationship. It could change your life. Yep. Just learning to be a better question to Great story. So, the book you just mentioned, are there any other books on leadership beyond the ones that you've written? Are there any books out there that you think you'd really recommend for young leaders that really stick? People like John Maxwell, big influence on me, leadership guru. People, I tell you what, there was a book. It's not necessarily a leadership book. But Colin Powell's book influenced me, Joe Torre, I'm a Yankee fan, his book. Uh, ground rules for leadership influenced me. So many others have influenced me. But there was a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff, written in 1995 by Dr. Richard Carlson. Now, it's not necessarily a leadership book, and Carlson died at a very young age. He was 47 years of age. But he was a, he was a mentor of mine. And he was great enough to actually write one of the positive comments about one of my early books. He had a chapter that changed my view of everything. It was called The Theory of Separate Realities. And I read it again. This is this, this to do with leadership, right? So, Carlson argues that we have one reality based on our life, our experiences, our parents, our neighborhood, our schools. If I went to the military, you didn't go to the military. Like, what you did, what you didn't do, right? We make the mistake, according to Dr. Carlson, of thinking someone else's reality is my reality. My wife, Jennifer, and I get into too many unhealthy, unproductive conversations turning into arguments because we have totally separate realities. I confront people more directly, and I enjoy it. I don't mean to get in an argument. In my mind, it's to get stuff done. My wife, and by the way, a lot of that's because my father was a professional confronter. Over dinner, everything, all the time confronting, so I'm comfortable with it. My wife, let's just say, grew up in a different environment where they didn't confront things in the way my family did. So our approach to situations is sometimes different. No, often different. <laughs> and when I forget that my reality is just mine and we're not separate and it doesn't make her wrong, we get into trouble. And we've talked about it. And she goes, don't go with the separate reality thing. She goes, just accept that I'm right in this. And, you know, I do because she's my wife, of course. But I'll tell you what. Leaders need to understand that their view of a situation, their reality is just that. Theirs. It's not everyone else's. And Carlson said and he's right, the greatest leaders step back and ask themselves. Even though I didn't live in Brian's shoes, my job is to try to find out what his reality is so I can connect with him. Yep. That's powerful. No more of that these days, uh, for sure, particularly from our, uh, our political leaders. For young leaders, who should they be following on social media or your kind of go-to staples for leadership or leadership advice? And obviously, people can find you at Steve Adubato on Twitter and on Facebook at Steve Adubato PhD. But is there anyone in your social media Rolodex that you recommend our folks follow? It's interesting. They don't call it leadership, but I'm a Gary Vee fan. Gary Vaynerchuk, absolutely. Gary's been, uh, been on our show many times. We've had very... Gary and I have these... We have to uh, bleep him sometimes. Uh, yes. But uh, PBS does not allow... You people can't con- you know. Yeah. That's content. content. Yeah, but I'll tell you what about Gary. Sorry for Gary and I get into spirit discussions about the value of higher education. I'm a huge advocate of higher ed. Gary is not Be a the opposite. Yep. Gary Gary's not. So I'll tell you what. The reason mm-hmm. I recommend that younger people listen to Gary is because his tenacity, his aggressiveness... His strategic thinking and agility, his entrepreneurial spirit is not blaming anyone else for anything Mm -hmm. as much of his success. Too many, in my view, younger people, have a hard time owning their own mistakes, looking to blame others. It's a terrible, terrible generalization for too many. And I actually think the answer is on social media. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's getting information, different perspectives, and deciding for yourself. My lesson is this. Don't go to the sources that simply reinforce what you already think you believe. Go to those and go to others that are contrary and then ask yourself what your worldview is. Don't just reinforce your worldview by going to a source that just tells you you're right. I mean, it's, it's lazy. lazy or it's lazy. Yeah. By the way, Mike Rudder every Sunday sends out. Yep. Right, every Sunday. What time do you get that? Right? Three-minute later. I think it's uh, 5.45 a.m., I believe. or nice, right, Sorry i my 6.30 in the morning before I go to my Peloton workout. I, I don't have a piece of the action. I just want to mention Peloton. By the way, great leaders need to be in great physical condition in my mind to have the energy to do what we do. But I'm going to tell you something else. I read Mike Reuters' Sunday email every Sunday, and I write to them, and I tell him what I took from it. Now, i tell you what, every young person in the program that you run, every person that is young at the university and anyone else, learn from that because it's continuous learning. Absolutely, great leaders must continue to learn. Because once they think they got it right, that's when they're in trouble. Could not say it any better, Steve. And actually, we got to get some our students in some continuous learning. Because we got to get you down to do that uh, guest lecture here in a second. I'm sorry, that lecture engagement. <laughs> that's if I had to find out one word. conversation, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> If I had one find one word to uh, describe uh, you know the past thirty plus minutes with you, it's it's been engaging. I can't thank you enough for being on our podcast. It has been my honor, and I not too strong to say this, I don't just like Seton University. I love Seton University and everything it stands for and everything that you and your colleagues are doing. But the Bucino Institute for Leadership, you're changing people's lives every day, and they are going to be, be the people we count in the future. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. G uh, Rutgers. Um. <laughs> So you can find Steve's book, "Lessons in Leadership," online and in bookstores, and you can subscribe to his podcast, Steve Adubato's Leadership Hour. And you can also follow him on Twitter at, st- at steveadubato and on Facebook at steveadubato PhD. See you next week, everybody.